Hey, everybody. How's it going? Welcome to the JU Israel, the Teacher's Lounge, the podcast where we keep you up to date with everything going on in Israel and try to give some insight to help folks understand what's really going on here. Uh, I'm Michael Unterberg, and I'm here, as always, with my co-host, Alan Goldman. How's it going, Alan? It's going great, Michael. And we have here, back after a long break, Benji Davis. How's it going, Ben? Shalom Aleichem. Good to see you. Good to see you. I've been around you. in a while for our podcast. It's on you, not me. Always happy to come. Where's my invite? Send me those Fair invites. Enough. Fair enough. Um, we are going to do a uh, listener-suggested topic today. And Alan, can you sort of fill in what was the question we had on our Facebook group? For those of you who don't listen using the Facebook group, you should know. The Teacher's Lounge uh, podcast on Facebook is a group where you can follow when we have new things for discussions, for questions. It's, uh, Are you talking really about the page nice. or the group? I'm talking about the, the page. Right. Um, the group is closed for students, but the page is open to anybody. Um, and we had a couple of really good questions based on our last week's episode, 24, about Jewish nationality. Um, there were some good questions that we wanted to address today. Hey everybody, uh, I'm jumping in post-recording in my job as editor to let you know that it's kind of cool. We're going to stick in. Noam actually called me on the phone and uh, sent in his questions as a caller, so I'm going to stick them in here at this point, even though we weren't listening to them uh, at the time. We were actually reading them from a Facebook post, but you'll get to hear Noam ask the questions at this juncture that we'll be responding to in this episode. And as long as I'm breaking in, let me just give you a quick heads up that we're trying something new in this episode. Uh, Benji has a different mic than uh, than Alan and I, and I were, were using. So uh, if the sound sounds a little bit, it should be okay. You shouldn't even notice it, and I probably shouldn't have told you. But if you notice anything, that's the reason. Okay, enjoy. Hey, Michael and Alan. This is Noam calling from Efrat. Uh, love the podcast. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Uh, I've always wanted to say that. Um, I asked two questions, actually, as follow-ups to your last episode about Zionism being about Jews as a nationality as opposed to a religion, um, which I really enjoyed. But my two questions are this. Number one, you mentioned the law of return um, and how that sets into that conversation. And one thing that confuses me a bit is that the law of return says that any Jew can return to Israel and then apply for citizenship, but the definition of a Jew is actually a religious one in that context. Um, a clergy member determines who's a Jew um, in terms of conversion, uh, and then based on that, um, they can apply for citizenship. So there you have kind of a blurring of the lines between uh, nationality and religion. Um, so that's one question I have. How does, that, how does that work out? And my second question is actually wondering if you guys could do an episode on the notion of dual citizenship and what does it mean to view yourself as a Zionist in the way you're talking about it as somebody who views their nationality as a Jew, um, but also has an American national identity um, and one that's very, very much felt. Um, so that's something I think about and I wondered how you guys kind of make sense of that. Um, so looking forward to that and keep up the good work. Thanks. Okay, so again, once again, this concept of Jews as a nation. So, what does that mean, particularly for Americans? But I mean, I think you could 
you know, European Jews or any Jew in the diaspora? What about those Jews who are belong to other nations and define themselves as those other nations? So what does that mean for them? Is there like, like you have dual citizenship, do you have dual nationality kind of concept? And I think more, we're less talking about the legal here and more the identity Right, issue. personal identity. So what does it mean to have a dual national identity? Many Americans who live in Israel, forget Americans who live in America, many Americans who live in Israel still feel American and feel connected to America and even vote in American elections. And many Jews in America feel that they're connected to Israel and it's their home. Right, and, and I, just to drive home this identity, what creates our identity? If we talk about, um, you know, culturally, what, what am I? I like to bring this question, but like, so what music do you listen to? I still tend to listen to much more American music, you know, than I will... Israeli music. I tend to uh, follow American sports more than Israeli sports. So if we're talking about those identity issues and what creates my my connection ethnically, culturally, all that, so th- those are good, strong questions. But the, the nuance is that you're a citizen of the state of Israel, but you're part of the Jewish nation. So you can be a part of the Jewish nation and take citizenship in the state for the Jews, which is Israel, but you don't necessarily have to identify with the majority culture of the society which means instead of dumping baseball for soccer for instance dumping you know pasta for shawarma or hummus etc etc and there's a way to both have let's say citizenship in, in different states but to have a cultural affiliation uh, which is rather a part of the the nation that has been going on for 3,000 years whereas the culture of being Israeli is, you know, about a century-long phenomenon. And I think also to add on that... Right, um, makes, I would ask you then, um, again, what what makes our um, our identity in, as, as, as a part of a nation? What creates your identity? So I would argue uh, certainly an important part of that is culture. That's why I feel, that's how I express my Jewish culture is often... You know, my Jewish nationality are expressed in my Jewish culture, which for me comes out in a lot of religious ways, obviously, because I'm a religious... But there are many different Jew. Jewish cultures, and one of them is the kind of Israeli I- I- society or identity, you could say. So, you know, your standard Israeli that grows up in Israel, goes to the schools, youth groups, and the army, you know, culturally is very much Israeli. And what is, you know, essentially the center of the Israeli identity? Well, it's, it's Judaism. Well, so, Jewish identity Jewish may not identity. be, which may or may not be religious. Right. In other words, Hanukkah and Pesach and Yeah, and well, why do 90% of Israelis do a Seder? Not because you're commanded to by some religious dictate. It's because it's a part of the culture. Right. So, so that's what I'm saying. So the fact that that's exactly it. So if our culture is also American. Um, right. You know, your culture doesn't have to be exclusively based on the nation that you come from. Because I'm also the same way. I've been living here eight years, chose to live here. I served in the army. I'm married. You know, to someone who's been here eight years and also doesn't really speak Hebrew. Um, we live in an ethnic congl- enclave of Anglos. We feel very much a part of Israeli society, even though most of our friends are English speakers. The music we listen to is American, you could say. But we feel very much that we wanted to live in the place that is the state and the homeland of the Jews and to make our own community here. Well, do you feel that that's precedented? Do you think there's other countries? Like, let's say you're French. So, do you... Well, yeah, in America. I grew up in L.A. where you have both Israeli... Let's say within the Jewish community in Los Angeles. 
Persian Jews and Israelis both live within ethnic enclaves. Their kids' first language is either Farsi or Hebrew. They go to restaurants with each other. They go to doctors and lawyers and their service people and their communities are very within their ethnic enclave. Well, America is the funny model because it's not just Jews or, or even Persian Everyone. Jews. It's, you have Irish neighborhoods, you have Italian neighborhoods, you have African-American neighborhoods. Right, because it's based on the concept of immigration. Whatever's happening now, it's, I mean... Right, but America is... And, 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 you know, this is something that's obviously changed over time, but America doesn't assume that when you immigrate to America, your previous national identity should now be forgotten. In other words, American culture, where I don't know when this occurs exactly, somewhere in the 20th century, I guess, doesn't assume that you have to assimilate. In other words, when, when, when our grandparents, Eastern Europeans, came to America and didn't want to be greeners, there was this pressure sense of... We have to be more American than we are. We don't worry. Kids are right. embarrassed to hear their parents speak with a Yiddish accent. But today, it's a much more, not only tolerant, but it's much more celebratory of the fact that America is built of all these other cultures. So America really has this unusual national model that, re- that takes in the immigration and says, keep your loyalty. Have a, have a parade, a Columbus Day parade for Italians. Have a St. Patrick's Day parade for the Irish. Have an Israel Day parade for Jews, but in Israel they've neg- very much negated these other identities and the ethnic groups that came in, um, especially in the early days of the state. Don't speak that language you came here with. You're going to speak Hebrew and you're going to become Israeli. And the generations that have passed, you know, they very much feel Israeli and they don't feel um, based on the countries they came in. So to bring in the LA reference again, I like to but do. But is that true? Wait, is that true? I'm going to give it an example. So I grew up in Los Angeles in a heavily populated Persian Jewish community. And all my friends that with Persian parents spoke Farsi at home and to their parents. And I'd ride in the cars with them. And they'd speak Farsi. And I have no idea what was going on. Yeah, but they didn't normally do that. They just didn't want you to know what they were talking about. No, no, no. I'm telling you. No, but they they spoke Farsi at home with their parents and their grandparents. You're not Farsi? I'm not. Here in Israel, their cousins... We don't speak Farsi around you because we we are nice. (laughs) Let me get to my point. Stop trying to distract me. Okay. My cousins, well, that was very harsh, I'm sorry. My cousins, not my cousins, my friends' cousins in Israel, Persians, they don't speak Farsi. They don't even know the language. Whereas, um, because one, came, one uh, part of the family came to Israel and the culture was obliterate everything that you knew about your Persian identity because now you're part of, you're Israeli. Whereas now, in America, me, so they were able to keep their Persian identity. Correct me if I'm wrong, Alan. If you agree or disagree, but I think in Israel you had a similar course over the 20th century to America. In other words, America went at the beginning from there is an American identity, change your name, change your dress, fit in, to by the end of the 20th century as no, 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 go with your, where you keep out of work. Multiculturalism. And by the way, and by the way, there's a, uh, in Israel the the law actually reflects that because if you became a member of Knesset or official state position in the early part of the state, you had to change your name. You had to Hebraicize your name oh. from a diaspora name. That that law was changed either at the end of the 20th century yeah, or but the now you still have to give up. Bacon did it. There was a law. Bacon didn't change his name. Yeah, Bacon. What do you mean? That's uh, Menachem Bacon. I mean, I'm, that's, he didn't uh, change his name. I know. But right, I'm so when did Golda Meir and Moshe Sharet, when did they all change but their names? But that was it. They Hebraicized to become the new well, Israeli Jews and they were forming yeah, a new... Yeah, but now the law is they have to give up their... Bacon was enough because it sounded Hebraic. Hebrew enough, probably. It could be. But, the, but, but they've the, changed the law. They've changed the law. 
because now it's not the case. Russian right. communities live in more or less Russian communities. Anglo, French communities live in right. French communities. By the way, and I would, uh, there, there's actually precedent that in, in, in Europe for centuries. Ger- ethnic Germans always kept their ethnic di- identity no matter where they were in Europe. If they were in Poland, if they were in Czechoslovakia, if they were uh, where. So it's not so, you know, foreign, I think, in, in, in that sense. But did they think of themselves as Czechs or Germans? German, they were German ethnics living in in the Czech Czechoslovakia. That, that's I mean, if you go uh, whatever Holocaust Memorial, but that's that's the whole Schindler story. Schindler's an ethnic German, so therefore he can become a member of the SS. And the same mm. thing's happening in Poland again. That's between the wars of Nazis. But well, like, that's why. They, that's why. No, that's that's why the Germans annexed northern correct. Czechoslovakia. Correct. That's, so, so I'm just saying that those those identities that were very strong in some places that they they retain them even when they migrated. Just like the Jews migrated in the 15th century all over Europe, so were Germans for, and, and retaining those identities. So are we saying that as opposed to other aspects of the Jewish experience, which are so unique in world history, this idea of maintaining dual nationality isn't so unusual in the world? It's, it's, it's very obvious in America, but it even has precedent in Europe where people retain a certain ethnic identity, although they live in a different state. Right. I mean, and uh, again, once the the, I think the, the 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 problem we, or the complication we get into with the Jews, is the fact that the 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 religious identity that goes along with it, and the fact that like we only got this state seventy years ago or less, sixty nine years what, ago. What, explain what you mean by religion; it becomes a problem. Um, so, uh, Noam's first question of... Well, we went backwards. We're working sort of on the second question first. Let's get to the first question in a minute. It's also, I mean, these things are recognized by the governments themselves. In other words, neither the state of Israel nor the United States of America have a problem with me being a citizen of both countries. They very happily tax me. Very both, happily. Yeah, on both sides of the Atlantic. Uh the United States lets me vote, even though I'm an expat. But so there's a legal framework. I remember that when Dove Lippman went into the Knesset, he had to cu- he had to get re- renounced the citizenship because that's a line for whatever reason. That however these things are decided, and I'm not sure well, what because you're becoming a, a government official of a foreign government. It could be definitely. Well, it didn't seem to bother Mike Flynn, but that's neither here nor there. But well, by the way, it's also <laughs> confusing to me how uh, Americans can serve in foreign armies. <laughs> how, Am- yeah. how Americans can, fo- uh, can can serve in foreign armies without having to de- renounce their oh, But that's a big deal. Because yeah, we're an ally. And in Israel, you don't even have to become an Israeli citizen. Meaning, uh, uh, that's uh, amazing. Uh, you don't have to become an Israeli you citizen. You can serve in you the Israeli army. I love Machal. is an amazing thing. You have soldiers it's, in the Israeli army operational on student visas on their American passports yeah, and sometimes crazy. going into become commanders and officers and never ever becoming Israeli citizens yeah I don't get that uh, well I think it's I mean, what we're talking it, about the states are recognizing that that nationality and ethnic and national identity is something complicated enough that it, it's not it's it recognizes right, these great the areas. Complexities. Look, that that always happened. Whether you know the Spanish Civil War, you had all these people coming and fighting. Well, you French had at the beginning Legion. of World That's War II. French Nahon. By the way, you had at the beginning of World War II you had all these Americans <laughs> going to England <laughs> to fight the Nazis because America wasn't in the war yet. I think that wasn't even legal at the time. Okay, I think they were so like breaking American law. Right, the pilots. 
the, 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 the Battle of Britain had a bunch of American yeah. pilots who I think were there illegally. I think you're right. They weren't allowed to fight, but they did anyway. They fought in the RAF. Let's also fast forward uh, to the example of the World Baseball Classic. <laughs> right? Team Israel had two Israeli citizens that didn't play. All the guys that were playing weren't even technically, probably the majority of them weren't even Jewish according to Jewish law. But because they were eligible for Jewish Israeli religious citizen, law. Yeah. Right. They were eligible, though, for Israeli citizenship. And the rules of the World Baseball Classic, you know, the umbrella organization, recognize for them to have a tournament. They can only have a tournament if it's people that are eligible for citizenship in these countries and identify with that nation. So there is a recognition in, I don't know, 2017 around the world that you can be have dual identities to different nations. So if you can either self-affiliate, self-identify, or those countries would say, you're kind of a part of us, or you can be if you want to, then you get to say, yeah, I'm American and I'm also this. We're not necessarily, correct me if you guys think I'm wrong, I think we're not explaining it, we're just observing that it is a real thing. And yeah, it's reckon- It's not just our own made-up little thing, it's a bigger... Yeah, yeah I, I agree with you 100%. It's not only that it's not like it's a real thing, it's, it, it speaks a lot about modern identity. Right, and how I can point. hold I can hold multiple identities in, in who I am, and I think that's part of the confusion of the modern world and part of the like. Uh, you know what I love about beauty. this? Mo- I think, by the way, I think part of what this is part of what Palestinians have trouble understanding. In other words, if you're from New York, so you're from New York. Why do you want to live here? Right. If you're well, from LA. They why do you want to live here? National identity based on your residence and where you're from. Yeah, where you I'm live. from here. You're from LA. Palestinians are Palestinian because they're from a place called Palestine. No matter the fact that who decides to call this place Palestine, well, the Romans at the end of the Bar Kokhba revolt to distance the Jews from this place, which called it Judea, and they were Judeans. So I, I, I think, that's, I think that's, that's sort of the missing piece. And people, they're, they're, we're, we're saying there's all this uh, gray, complex types of identity that exist, and they're supposed to... Uh, acknowledge that, and they're saying right. we just well, we're don't speaking really two different it. languages, right? But I think also to hammer this point home of the multiple identities. Where do we do the podcasts? What's the place called? Bagel Cafe. Bagel Cafe on <laughs> Emek Rafaim. <laughs> How does that not explain our dual identities here? I, I don't get it. What do you mean? What do you mean? What are you talking about? Yeah, do I, I really have to explain it? <laughs> Our listeners here, do you get it? No, we don't have to explain it. All we have to do is walk around with a microphone to the tables and see how many of them are in English and how many of them and, and observe what it is they're eating at the tables. Yes. Look, it's a smaller world, so it's not surprising that these identities will pop up the way they are. It shouldn't be right. a surprise to us. It's facilitated on the improvement of technology and we can communicate and I can be in LA in 16 hours if I wanted to. Um, yeah, so it's, it's not um, ex- exclusionary identities. And it works. Not to pick one over the other. And for Jews, it works either way across the Atlantic. In other words, Jews in Europe or America, I guess they're on the same side of the Atlantic, but Jews in Europe on the same side of the Atlantic or Americans on the other side can all feel a sense of belonging and homeland in Israel. That Israel is their moledet, their homeland, and yet feel very comfortable members of, of their cultures and countries and, and care about well, their faith. a former guest on your podcast, Mark Rosenberg, loves to talk about the distinction between home and homeland and the, the challenge of one who has a home somewhere else. Well, how do you have a home outside your homeland? Or for those that came from a place that wasn't our homeland, how do we build our homes in the homeland? And so I think us as immigrants, we have that challenge of 
home was somewhere else, but we were drawn to the homeland and how to create a home here. But most Jews in the diaspora find that they can have homeland somewhere else, but better for them to have home essentially where they were born. One doesn't... There's all sorts of reasons why people feel they're staying in their home even though they have a homeland elsewhere. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. That makes sense. Um, Do you want to talk about question one? So I, I, I'll tell you what I wrote in the answer, and I think I think it wasn't sufficient. Oh, you responded on the Facebook post. I did, and, and I and I, I think it's I think I was correct, but I think part of the reason we wanted to do this podcast is I think there were very sharp questions that deserved uh, more thorough, nuanced answers. So basically, the question was, uh, how does how does this national idea and the right of return, which says that. Jews are descendants, because we're all Judean, now that Judea has reopened for business under the name Israel, we all can step in and collect our citizenship anytime we want. Well, then how does the clergy have the right to convert people in, in diaspora, and then they can come into Israel under the right of return? How does that make sense in a nation state? And my, my answer in brief was, well, you have to understand, first of all, that the process of religious conversion has to do with the fact that it was the religion that held the nation together. And so there was there, there evolved a religious set of rituals for naturalization while in diaspora. And it was overseen by the religious. But it was it's explicitly in the language of the sages based on the book of Ruth, who tells her mother-in-law, Naomi, when she wants to join her, she says, you're nation is my nation, your God is my God. So conversion means both of those things. But But also another um, element of this, and maybe I'm getting too technical, but you can't just convert and all of a sudden you get to go on an Efesh Benefesh flight and make Aliyah. The Israeli government says you need to live in your home community wherever you're converting, I think for at least nine months to a year, I'm not mistaken. Um, And they want to see commitment, and you can use different language to being a part of the Jewish nation or to being a part of a Jewish religious community. And the law of return doesn't differentiate for citizenship status if you convert Reconstructionist or if you convert Orthodox. Yeah, but, but, it's but, the vehicle onto which you become the nation because the religion is what, as Mike said, it, it kept us a nation in the diaspora. And the only uh, form of legal supervision that we had as a result of being a diasporic people without our own nation state was the religious baiting and the religious leaders and, and Jewish law. But you could argue, following Noam's logic, you could say, well, the state of Israel should shut it down. They shouldn't recognize that and say, look, if you want to naturalize and that'll be your conversion, that's fine. Come to Israel and naturalize. If not, we're closing down that old system. Why can't the state of Israel do that and just shut it down and say, or not even shut it down? Because you could then do that there, already, but we don't recognize but, that. What, the religious... Yeah, we no longer recognize that as, as a definitional. Now to become a citizen state well, of Israel, we're not become strictly Israeli. a nation and we're not strictly a religion. We are unique in terms of people um, on yeah, this but earth. But Zionism did define us as, as a strictly a nation with a religious aspect. Right. Zionism was that political vehicle that created the Jewish state. However, also Zionist leadership understood the need for unity and compromising amongst the different tribes. And in order to bring the religious political bodies together, decided, okay, well, we're going to have to give them control over and, this And stuff. I would say it even stronger. They, re- they recognize the importance of the religious identity. 
right? Totally. And that's when. Why did all the clearly, look at all the kibbutzim names why, and connected and, to the Bible and the uh, Moshavim yeah. and the Yishuvim and all that stuff? Well, that wasn't necessarily religious. Yeah. No, not religious, no, but from a religious yeah. book. But 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 by making by making the 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 Hebrew calendar the calendar and national days off religious holidays. That's clearly recognizing the important role. Is it, or is it just taking it from religious and turning it just into culture? No, we're arguing that religious is culture, don't we? Well, but if you don't, if you take well, God out language, of the culture, language and culture, right? Now I'm now making the reconstructionist argument. If you take if you take God out of the discussion, you still have a culture with Pesach and Shavuot and all those things, and and so that's what the kibbutzim, the secular kibbutzim, did. They turned them. They focused on the agricultural aspect and kept the festivals. <coughs> Excuse me. Hanukkah becomes, instead of who will say the greatness of God, becomes who will say the greatness. Miyam alag v'rot Yisrael. I wouldn't disagree, but I think that, the, that they are recognized. Like, that's the sort of weird play between how different groups of Jews recognize that culture. Look, I would also say... I would also say that there's an element of transition where just like the Jewish people had to evolve into leaving its nation state and evolve a set of practices and behaviors to function in the diaspora, as part of the return from the diaspora, we also have to evolve back. And that means I assume things will change over time. I assume if I said to you, here's my, I'll I'll, I'll take a bet in a hundred years, there will be a convened Sanhedrin that will end that particular ritual and it will have to be more of a focused on the land of Israel. If the vast majority of the world Jews already live in Israel, I could well, see that, that changing in, in the years, future. 75% of the Jews, according to <coughs> demographic experts, will absolutely live in Israel. There's no doubt about it. But that actually might strengthen the based on demographics and the political system stays the same, then it is going to be through religious conversion the way to join the nation and become a citizen there. It could be or it could be not. In other words, what I'm saying is I don't know. I know that we're in a transitional period and it could be that not only will uh, not only will government, you know, Knesset people, Knesset ministers say that we think it should change. It could be rabbis themselves begin to say. Can I point um well, well, hold on. Just make one more point. You have an argument among Orthodox rabbis in Israel about what to do with Russian olim who live here who aren't ethnically Jewish. Make it easier for them to convert. That's one side. Through the army. And that then was they'll, Rob be, they'll be not only Israeli, they'll be very Jewish. And then there's the other side. The well, they also feel Israeli and they want to be a part of the Israeli society, which Jewish. Why should my kid go to high school and be worried about dating a non-Jew who's uh-huh. an Israeli... So, so there's already a put. And well, you're going to send him to a Malachi school. But there's a pushback in the more, I guess, ultra orthodox world, saying, "No, no, no, we have to keep the barriers up the way they always were." But you already. But see the barriers weren't always up like that. And that, I don't know if I want to get into that conversation. Yeah, that's a longer issue. But traditionally, as we come into the 20th century, there's a pushback to people to convert. Not a, not a. It's not a please come in. It's a. Are you really sure you want to be here? And there are Israeli Orthodox rabbis saying we should be welcoming them in and saying let's make you let's encourage you to become Jewish. Okay. So you already see a change not only in in Knesset ministers, you see a change in rabbinic thinking. Where as we evolve in this transitional period, the the concerns of maintaining a diaspora future 
become not the concerns. The concerns was how do we reconvene and have a sensible national life together? Could be there will be rule changes. I don't right. think that's out of the question. I also don't think the position necessarily of the Israeli government is saying the only way to join the nation is actually through a religious conversion because the Israeli government only recognizes legitimate religious conversions as being through orthodox bodies, In whether Israel. it's through the rat. One second, whether it's through the rabbinate in Israel or confirmed or affirmed orthodox rabbis abroad. So if you want to become a part of the nation, you can do any conversion, but they're not actually going to see you as Jew- Jewish according to Jewish law. Is that you true? Can't I thought the Sharansky Compromise said we'll accept conversions from other denominations. Only to become for law- citizens. Oh, for the law of return, right. For the law of return. Oh, that's a really good so point. So a re- reform conversion, okay, great. You're part of the Jewish nation, even though we don't think reform conversion is actually a legitimate religious conversion. Who's we? We being the Israeli government. We being the Israeli establishment, per se. The Israeli government says if you convert in anything that is not, in any mode that is not uh, part of a recognized Orthodox rabbi, we'll let you come here and become an Israeli citizen, but we won't let you get... any Orthodox rabbi. That's No, an affirmed Orthodox rabbi. That's what I said. One that they would say is kosher enough. You can become a citizen here, but my gosh, if you want to get married here, no way, Jose. Or if you want to get buried in a Jewish cemetery. Right. If we, They're not going to recognize you as Jewish. So it's not... What the Israeli government is recognizing is that there's actually different ways to join the Jewish nation. And if they're only going to recognize Orthodox Judaism, then they're saying reform, conservative, reconstructionist conversion. That's actually a way to get into the nation, but not a part of the religion. Well, I would say a lot of the things that you're describing are... are are pretty intolerable long term, and so I, I assume that we're in transition. I mean, it's the absolute worst, and it's disgusting. And I had to get your brother-in-law to write me a letter so I can get married here. <laughs> I would say it's part of the growing pains. I mean, it's not an easy process reestablishing a political sovereignty after two thousand years. Right, but we've dis- we have declined in terms of this regard. Why have we declined? To get married in Israel, an immigrant did not need to produce a letter from an Orthodox rabbi where they came from to get married until the immigration of the Jews from the former Soviet Union in the early 90s. Dude, it's called politics. That's all. It's just called politics. I agree with you. I mean, I know it's the political system. You know, I have no doubt about it. However, if you're looking at it outside and not saying, oh, it's not the political system, but we're declining in terms of me grew up in Jewish day school camp, youth group, etc., to two Jewish parents in an active conservative community, had to email a rabbi I did not know to say, hey, can you tell this Israeli government that I'm born to a Jewish mother and her mother is Jewish so I can get married here? Hold on, Alan, I want to tell you something in Farsi so Benji won't understand. <laughs> many, many tekel ipshirin. Uh... Wow, that was a really nerdy joke. Yeah, that was bad. That was bad. Uh, Although, yeah, the, 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 it's farcical. And that's why I think that to me is a sign that we're sort of in this tumultuous transition. We're sort of thrashing and trying to come up with solutions. Right. Look, we when, don't have a good strategy. The biggest proof is we don't have a constitution. Right. All these, you have the Declaration of Independence, which agrees on certain basic principles of what we're defining but as it means nation nothing, really. A, it doesn't, it's not binding in any way. And B, it doesn't explain much. And we can't sit down as a society and come up with a document because that says... All, we have our tribes. And every tribe, has their, we are, every tribe has their utopian vision. And until they change the political system, so the um, way to get into the government isn't 3.25%, which encourages <laughs> 10 parties to be in the government right now. They could raise it to 15, 20, 25 percent. Really? Why? Wow, you want to go to a two party system like America? That's working out so No, good I, so ideally, I'd want a five party system. 
right Zionism, centrist Zionism, left Zionism, Arab party, Haredi party. And that will be a po- that's a great podcast, by the way. We will we will definitely take that. I on. live and die by that. That's a great topic. I would like to hear I more don't about know what it. it means. What do you mean? Neither do I. That's why I want to hear it. I want to hear Benji's plan for the government. I'm. That, that's a fascinating. If you raise. No, don't tell. Okay, fine. Preview. Keep them guessing. Keep them guessing. <laughs> dun, dun, Keep me dun. guessing. I am super interested in that, but I think we're running uh, long on time. So I want to uh, please let us know. What, yeah, we this never was more of a kibbit podcast without a conclusion. Well, it's funny. I'll, I'll say about this there is, because there is no conclusion to this because it we're is living it, it. it. It's part of the complexity of the modern world, and again, modern identities, modern political movements, and the fact that we reestablished ourselves after two thousand years, which is crazy. Did you see? The, did you watch that Ruth Calderon lecture on Facebook Live yesterday? No, I didn't have I'll see if I can put a link to it. She's so thoughtful, and she's just Ruth Calderon. That's why she couldn't right. survive in the Knesset, because she's so thoughtful and amazing. But, yeah, but she was really talking about these issues. I think she only issues. missed it by like one or two. Yeah? She was really talking about these profound issues of, of you know, Jewish identity, democratic identity, how do these things work, and how the lack, lack of a constitution is both the source and the symptom of the problem of where, at, at 69 years in, we haven't come up with what we're doing exactly. We're we still haven't defined what a Jewish state means besides that's, a country with Jews run by Jews. And that's so fair after 2,000 years that we're still struggling. And look, if we're looking at this as the third Jewish commonwealth, it took from Joshua to David, which decided on a united monarchy, that's like 300 years. It took from, you know, Zerubbabel and the return to Israel till... Uh, the Hasmonean dynasty also like 400 years Mashu something like that so today at 69 years in okay we're not totally cooked yet and by the way most countries aren't totally cooked you know France after the resolution took decades to what forget is, what they wanted to be totally cooked even what does it mean perfection we're not going to get to perfection not perfection but you know it took America from 1776 to 1787 to have a, a constitution which defined the parameters of what it was and then the discussion right. becomes uh, what fits okay. in and what doesn't into well, the constitution hey, so you're saying we need a constitutional convention yeah that well, would be awesome. It's called for convention. It's called for in the Declaration of Independence within what five years, ten years? They can air it group or something. They're always trying it. There's dozens of group trying it. Everybody's always trying it, and 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 it's it's both. It's it's. I think it's primary. It's really the symptom of we're still in transition. We haven't figured it out yet, and that these complexities, this nuance, these gray areas define our realities in the 21st century more than the old-fashioned clear black and whites right. of the past. Well, we're the minority of the nuanced Zionists. But that just makes us super awesome. What does that mean? What do you mean? I think we're nuanced Zionists. There are those that have uto- there are the utopian Zionists from the left and you that say we got we got to end this occupation. We got to end it right away or else we're threatened forever. Utopian Zionists from the right keep we have to settle all the historic land of Israel and Judea and Samaria and that and then what about those that can see this as the process? Let's see elements from the... It's what Yossi Klein Levy says. We're convinced the left, we're convinced on the right, and the majority of us here are actually... We're, we're centrist. We don't see a utopian end, but rather we're, we're wrestling, you know, through the process. Centrists recognize that this is a process that's unfolding, and while we may have various levels of patience, we, we understand that's the way history unfolds. Right. We have to remember that Lincoln wasn't only hated by the South, he, was, he angered the abolitionists because he didn't immediately just right. declare slavery well, over. Well, I mean, his goal wasn't the, 
the ending of slavery. It was keeping the union together. And he was a gradualist on that issue. He thought we'll proceed by steps. It takes baby steps. And uh, and and it. Matt's major proclamation had a lot more to do with the Civil War than it had to do with freeing. Uh, the slaves. Correct. And I don't think anybody would argue that African Americans were... Ten, we're, ten, we're going off on a tangent. <laughs> Might be. It's because Alan's distracted. <laughs> but, Teachers. No, but it's, it, it took... No one argues that in 1865, African Americans were, were settled and treated as equal in the United States. These things take time. And well, patience is difficult when human lives are in right, pain Right. And now we're 150-something years later. So. But that's how it goes. All right. Well... Another exciting episode. I guess this is like a part two to last, but we thank you very much, Noam, for sending us your questions. I love that music that's going to come in right now. It's the best. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you like it. I'll send it to you. You can have your own copy. Um, thank you for sending a question. Anyone else, please, we're always happy to engage in your questions and make them podcast topics. Uh, you can always find us and contact us on our webpage, juisrael.jerusalemu.org. Still don't like that URL. And, of course, you can find us on the Facebook page. Uh, please recommend us to people. We're getting dozens of downloads per episode, which means that we're doing something that people like, which means that some more word of mouth will help it spread to more people, and that will make us feel super groovy, and will make our bosses say, oh, we should let you keep taking hours a week to do this. You just said the word groovy. Yeah, well, we're still a little bit hippie well, over here. Yeah. We're, we're old men, as you know. More old than hippie. Well, thanks a lot, Benji. Good to have you back. Good to be back. Good to be back in the cycle. Uh, thanks a lot, Alan. Thank you, Mike. Thanks a lot, listeners. And we'll be back. Bye-bye. Bye bye.